Welcome to Deconstructing the Myth, a podcast exploring reasons why those who grew up in the American Evangelical Church are now leaving it behind. Today's episode features Dylan Stewart, who grew up in a non-denominational conservative Christian Church of Christ, and now considers himself an agnostic atheist. He brings up so many important issues in our talk today, including the problem of hell, the rub between science and religion, and how in his experience, Christianity has become less about finding truth and more about preserving the individual's sense of self. Thank you so much for being here, Dylan. I'm really excited to have you um, in large part because, and I don't think you knew this, but... um, you are a big reason why this podcast is even in existence. Um, your sister is my sister-in-law, and she has often said, you know, I'd love to hear you guys talk about your differing beliefs on on God, on the Bible, on theology. And so that got the wheels turning, and I thought, okay, I, I think I can do this. And so a lot hinges on yeah. you. Oh, no, on. I'm just kidding. I just I was nervous before. So, okay. So to start with, let's talk about your, your upbringing. So you have told me that you were part of the church. You were very involved with all the extracurriculars. You had a Christian education. It was very much part of your world. And you started having questions that you felt like people didn't answer very well for you. Tell us a little bit about how that was. I was always told that the Church of Christ was the only correct and true way to interpret uh, the Bible and lead a good life, uh, quote unquote. These thoughts weren't coming directly from my parents necessarily. Um, They didn't really believe that ours was the only right way to do it. They'd found that um, growing up, I think both my parents were raised Catholic, but not, not Catholic, Catholic, more of the attend church on Easter, Christmas, uh, and things like that. So I think they just found the Church of Christ, and they found uh, the school community and things like that, so it really helped them. Um, so they didn't necessarily believe that, but I think the atmosphere in which I was raised, where we had elders of our church saying, this is the only right way. We had teachers in, in my school and everything saying, this is the only right religion uh, to be a part of. And so I think the atmosphere in which you're raised also plays a huge effect, not just your singular parents. Um, so then starting around 15 or 16, I remember asking my friends, like, how do you know that this is the right one? How, how can you be so sure? Cause there are people across the world, across the street or whatever, who believe just as fervently that what they're doing and what they believe is completely true and is the absolute right religion. And they never had an answer for me. They would just say, this is what I was raised with. This is what I believe. And so they never really, I feel like. Growing up, I'd never seen anyone question what they were raised in. Uh, I even had a conversation later with someone who said, yeah, if I was raised Mormon, I'd just be a, a good Mormon person. And I'm like, that to me, that to me says this probably isn't absolute truth or even relatively true to me. Things like that happened constantly to where I'd ask a question and no answers would be provided. They would just be like, look around us or like, look at this or this, how we were raised. This one's definitely, um, the right interpretation of this Bible. So I think I had just gotten out of the army, maybe we moved back to Colorado and I was sitting with Maria and I was like, how can a loving God 
be so adamant to like send people to hell or like punish people for not believing in him. And I kind of just broke down and was just like trying to talk through it. And um, from that, I kind of dove into a bunch of different podcasts and read quite a few books and everything um, about what other people believed or what other options could be out there. And what I found through that is like when people asked a question and they didn't know the answer, they'd either say, I don't know, or they would produce an actual conversation or an argument to like persuade you one way or the other instead of just saying, I don't know, pray about it or kind of, uh, I don't know, just kind of accept it without going through it. And there's a quote, I'd rather have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned. Mm. And uh, that's good. And through, yeah, like I said, just growing up, I'd ask questions and they'd be like, that's just the way it is. And I refuse to accept uh, that's just the way it is as an answer yeah. for anything. I think something you said was interesting how people were saying, I don't know, and almost an attitude of, I don't care if, if it's true. <laughs> this is what I was raised. This is what works. Um, it almost seems, I don't know what the word would be, a lifestyle option instead of base in truth. Maybe that's kind of what bothered you. So it, it, but it's presented as truth still. You know, it's it's presented as like an absolute truth. And we yeah. talked about that a little when we were kind of getting ready for this is that capital T versus lowercase T of truth. Like yeah. uh, people are like, this is the absolute truth, truth that I know to be true. And then I'll I'll look at people. And I was we were having a conversation about secularism or atheism or anything like that. And I'll say, that's your truth. That is mm-hmm. not my truth. I have no I don't believe that at all. And they can't. A lot of people can't accept that as like not being true for everyone's worldview. And the reason I think that they present it as truth is because it's so tied to their identity. And mm, yeah. I talked about this a lot with Maria um, as I was going through my process is like, they start so young kind of ingraining these thoughts into your ideas of like Christianity or whatever you choose to worship is like, this is the truth is truth. And, but they do it in a really nice way when you're growing up. They're like, mm. I don't know. They always put out all the good parts of the Bible and not any of the, really horrible parts about it. And so they'll say like, look at this, look at this, look at this. And then by the time you actually know what's happening in your life and you kind of want to start questioning it, you've been around it for so long that it's so such a part of who you are that to, to get rid of it would be to change who you are entirely. Like, like I enjoy woodworking, but it's not who I am. It's a hobby that I do on the side. And I think religion in general isn't a hobby or anything people do. It's completely tied to their identity so when they when it's in threat of like being lost or questioned people get really uh defensive about it and so they'll say this is the truth with a capital t because if i lose this then who am i and Mm -hmm. what do i do with my life the rest of it so i think that's why people are really aggressively defending and hold to it quite so tightly and maybe have a hard time with even the process of deconstructing in general was that anything that you struggled with when you were redefining what you believed and started identifying as an atheist? It's kind of funny. So I just said that Christianity is part of people's identity. And I had been raised that for so long that actually when I started my process of like, I didn't even really intend on leaving the church, but like, you know, questioning it and going through it. When I was like, I'm an atheist now. I had made that part of my identity. So then anytime anyone brought it up, I was very, very aggressive being like, no, like if you believe in the Bible, you're dumb. Like in, uh, and I completely swung the other way to make it part of my identity there, uh, which is 
very awkward looking back at it now because mm-hmm. now it's not really it, I don't know it's kind of I don't really talk about it do you think that was in part because of how the church presents what you're supposed to do with truth does that make sense it does I it very well could have I hadn't really thought about that um I I think I was so aggressive about it because I'd been taught this one thing for so long and then I found this other thing that made more sense to me so I was like well these people are always witnessing I need to counteract that and get people away from the church and that was a whole thing in itself but now I think that I think that the church does serve a good purpose the community and like they do good things but I think a lot of the time it's disguised as a good thing when it's kind of based in like manipulation or control I'd actually I had not heard the term deconstruction I don't know if that's probably not a new term. I just had never heard it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think the way it's being used now, I've only heard about in the last couple of years. Yeah, okay. So you're not <laughs> but, behind the trend or anything. Right, okay. <laughs> uh, so I think I did, like, unintentionally deconstruct the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know some people deconstruct, and then they still believe. They still, like, they're like, no, this still makes sense, and that's fine. Uh, but for me, I don't think that I could ever... Once I like kind of pulled back all the layers of the onion to me, I don't think I could ever go back to a world where religion is part of my identity or anything like that. Because even though they do good things, I think the control and just like the things that the Bible says about every group of people, I feel like I just could never go back and see that part of being who I am anymore. Um, But so I, like I said, I did give it a chance and I, I, again, I didn't really intend on leaving, but once I saw everything, I was just like, no, this is, I, I could never go back to that part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much from the start to where I am right now. And like I said, I haven't really talked about this in a while. And then you yeah. were like, let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like revisit all my thoughts brain. and stuff. Yeah. So. so I know you kind of got into this at the end there. Um, I was going to ask what your current spirituality looked like. And it sounds like none, right? Tell me about that. I don't have any spirituality at all. I don't, I don't need that in my life or anything like anything that I have a question about or anything that I'm uh, wondering about. I always can find the answer. I can only experience this world that I currently have. So I have no connection to like anything bigger than that. I guess the closest, closest thing would be like, uh, like if I, if I go on like a really long hike to the top of a mountain Mm -hmm. and like, I feel much more not spiritual, but I can like feel, I feel small in the world. And I like feeling like, oh wow, I'm a very small human and this world is like ginormous and stuff. And it like gives me a feeling. And I know that there's like, I, I didn't want to say this. I told Maria this as well. <laughs> Cause I know people are going to like, you stand at the edge of the ocean and like, you can see God through like the power of the mm-hmm. ocean. I know there's some metaphor. Uh, that is now what's happening. <laughs> I just want to... <laughs> That's all right. I mean, I think I've been really interested in what people do when they do leave Christianity and, you know, go towards agnosticism or atheism or, or something else, and yet they still want that spiritual connection. And it sounds like, you know, nature is something that really resonates across belief system. Um, okay, let's move on and talk about hell and why the, the topic of hell and eternal punishment was such a defining part of your deconstruction. So the idea of hell for me is the most messed up torture device that anyone's ever come up with. I feel that it's cruel and should not be presented to any 
anybody, especially children of any kind, because like I said, for me, I was afraid of hell. I was afraid of like disappointing and eternal being. I was disappointed. I was afraid of everything basically. And the idea that this is this, like you said, this was kind of the catalyst. I was, I just broke down crying one day. Cause I was like, how can anybody send someone to hell for eternity? And I feel like, I feel like Christians, because they believe they're doing the right thing, I feel like they don't grasp how long eternity is. Um, I, we listened to a podcast one day, me and Maria, and it talked about how long eternity would be. And it said, if you take a solid metal ball the size of the earth, okay, and an ant walks across this ball, okay, and it's walking until the ball is turned to nothing, okay, that is not eternity. Like, to think about how long you'd be suffering for, to me, there is, and I am adamant about this, there is absolutely no crime of any kind, sin or otherwise, that would deserve that kind of punishment. I, I if, if you, like, what's the most heinous crime? Murder, right? What, we'll, we'll go with that. If you murdered a million people, or you served in hell for a million years per person that you killed, that still would not be long enough. Like at some point, penance has been paid. At some point, you have served time and you have, you need to move on to the, the reward if there is one. But to say that's for murder, to say for any sin committed, you get to go to hell for all eternity, it just doesn't sit at all well with me. Like no one deserves to be tortured for all eternity. It's just like, I don't know how to drive the point home anymore. You know, like it doesn't, it makes zero sense to have that. And then people say, oh, well, you put yourself there. I absolutely did not. I didn't make the rules of the universe. Like, I didn't do any of that. Like, infinite punishment for a finite crime is not a just God, is not a merciful God, is not anything that is described in the Bible as him existing. And so that alone to me is like, a, it is a huge reason why I'm an atheist because I've told people before if the Judeo Christian God came down and knocked on my front door and like it was absolutely evident, like I knew for a hundred percent that that was God, God. And he said, Hey, I'm real. I would be like, cool. I'm a theist now. Like you've proven your existence. I believe you exist. I would never ever worship that God. Like that's not a God worthy of being worshiped in my opinion. Hmm. So I have heard some different arguments as to how God could be good and just and still send people to hell for eternity underneath the traditional view of hell. And um, I'd really like your thoughts on one that comes to mind in particular. And that's this idea that God can be just when he sends someone to hell for eternity because the punishment is not actually based on the finite crime itself, which, as you said, should have a limit. It's, it's actually based on the person who is wounded by the crime or who's offended by the crime. And in every case, every wrong action is against more than just another human being. It's always also against an infinitely perfect holy God. So because of the inherent worth of that being, the punishment deserved is also infinite. So it's kind of like this idea, if you stepped on an ant and killed it, compared to if you killed a human being, we would say... Killing the human deserves a worse um, punishment or a harsher punishment because the inherent worth of that human is so much greater. 
And so in this argument, because God's worth is truly infinite, then the punishment deserved is infinite. What are your thoughts on that line of reasoning? I've actually never heard that before about it being against an infinite God. But again, I feel like if this God is who evangelicals say he is, like if he, if he like longs to be with us, and like I think that's actually in the Bible, like he mm-hmm. says he desires to be with us. If there was a God that wanted us to be with him, he would not need to run this in, incredibly cruel test for us to see if we're worthy to be with him. If he wanted us to be with him, we'd already be there. I just feel like people will constantly defend that position regardless of how horrendous. Like if you, if we put on a smaller scale, like if your child like does something, you say like, don't knock over that milk or whatever, they knock it over and then they're sitting in their room for 20 years. People would be like, that is psychotic. Like they would never, and like that was a child and they did the crime against you people would be like, no, that is obviously absurd. Like that's, I don't know, a week seems absurd. So, I mean, to say that, to say that infinite punishment is justified regardless of who's against, to me, just screams, this isn't about justice or mercy or loving God, anything. This is about control. Because if you say, if you say you have to do these things to be rewarded after when you're dead, people are scared and they're going to do what you ask. And so it's not about love or anything like that. It's about controlling the people that are beneath, I would say. I know science played a big role mm-hmm. in why you left, um, especially talking about evolution versus deism. Mm-hmm. Could you explain what that looked like? So I'd heard my entire upbringing from the religious community. If you look around you, God is like, clearly evident in nature all around you. Like I think apologetics, uh, they say like the human eye is too complicated to have evolved on its own. It's, it's, it, that is an impossible thing to evolve um, from where it started to how complicated it is now. You're saying that's what Christians say, right? It's an, yeah, like, I, think his, I think his name is William Lane Craig. He yeah, is a, okay. he's, uh, has this whole thing about the eye and you, it could not have evolved. It's too complex. Mm-hmm. And Richard Dawkins in Mountain Probable, he explains... I mean, in a step-by-step thing, and there's a YouTube series on it even, where he shows like, this is what our uh, ancestors or our predecessors would have seen, like, and it's like a shadow of an eye, and then it just evolves, and he can like, I don't know, you can see from start to where we are now, like a clear, in, in animals, like, in evolution of what it looks like, and so when people are like, well, the eye's too complicated, and then science is like, hey, look, steps one through ten, this is how we got here. That to me is like, I don't know how someone could say like, it's too complicated is a better answer than steps one through 10. I don't understand that uh, at all. And so there's things in nature, tons of examples about things like that where people are just like, clearly it's designed. Um, and then science will be like, absolutely, absolutely not designed. There's, it's again, Richard Dawkins. He talks about the laryngeal nerve in the giraffe there's a nerve that goes from our brain to our larynx and it's what makes people talk It's what makes animals make noise and things like that. And we'll post that in the show notes. Perfect. So okay. people can okay. access it <laughs> and look at it. Perfect. Yeah. There's a nerve that goes from our brain to our larynx and it makes us talk and animals make noises and it's what helps uh, communicate. And so when a fish, it goes directly from the brain to the larynx and it's like, 
two inches long. It's a direct shot. It's very clearly shown. But then in a giraffe and in humans even, it goes from their brain down their 10 foot long neck around their heart back up to the larynx. If there was an intelligent design or creator, uh, he would have in a giraffe attached it from the brain to the, to the larynx. But evolution isn't able to go backwards. Like it said, this is the quickest way in the animal that's currently living on the planet. So it did the short connection. Hmm. And then as we evolved and grew and everything, you can't, evolution cannot undo the nerve and put it short. So it keeps evolving, growing longer and longer and longer in all these animals. And so there's multiple examples of things like that that point to evolution versus like an intelligent design because an intelligent creator would say it's this way in a fish and then we're going to change it and do it this way in a draft in different ways. Um, so that again is like another reason where I would go more towards science when they're like, I don't know, when you look at that nerve and people are like, look how intelligent designed any engineer today or anyone who like is in biology would be like, that's not intelligent. You would clearly make a shorter route. Why would you make it 10 times more complicated than it needs to be? Hmm. Christians will often say, you know, the world seems to be perfectly designed for certain purposes mm-hmm. so that or certain aspects of the world do. So that points to a creator um, by seeing how well, you know, a human is suited to this planet, you know, not just in our ability to exist, but our in our ability to thrive. And so for me growing up, there was this real emphasis on you know, that, that the atheist will never have a good response. Um, I was told this, you know, as to why we are so well suited to planet earth. And I think that's a dangerous thing to teach Christians. Like that's not good apologetics, (laughs) but this is a question that I have heard a lot of people say, or maybe an assertion people have said, like, look around there's you know we're so well suited to this environment we're so well suited to this planet there must be a god what are your thoughts on that sort of assertion so humans in general and not just with religion want things to fit into patterns they want things to make sense and fit into boxes that we have determined to be acceptable i guess for our society that we live in and i think when it comes to things that we don't know religiously or even like space travel or you know like whatever people really want things to fit into a box that they can wrap their mind around um imagine there's a pothole in the ground and it's it rains one day and the pothole is completely filled to the brim with water and then that water becomes a sentient being and it looks around the puddle and it looks around the hole that it's in and it says look at this hole it is absolutely perfectly designed for me i fit in it so well uh but the hole was there anyway. The hole was there and you happen into that puddle. And that's the same thing I think. Like humans evolved and the planet was already here. If something was fundamentally different about the planet that we live on, humans would never have existed anyway. So like the fact that we're here doesn't point to a God because we could have easily not been here. So because we are here, we feel like we have the authority to say, well, look, since we're here, there definitely is a God. But to me, we could easily... Um, be something else or not be here at all. So if you picture a beach that is infinitely long and waves are crashing on it and they're shaping the rocks and changing them ever so slightly each time they crash on them, most of the rocks are going to be jagged and not, not good for skipping rocks. But there's one rock that's perfectly placed in where it needs to be. And that rock's been getting hit for millions of years with water. And it's finally shaped into this perfect skipping rock. And then someone will walk by and they'll pick up that rock 
and they'll say, look at this rock. This rock was perfectly made to be skipped across the water. And it wasn't. The rock is just there regardless of whether you're going to skip it or not. So it wasn't made for anything. We gave it purpose when we came by and picked it up. So I just feel like Christians and humans in general really are obsessed with giving things purpose when they necessarily don't have purpose. They just were. And then we want it to make sense for what we're comfortable with. I think, like I said, I think the Bible gives humans an authority that they never were supposed to have. I don't think they were we just evolved. We're another, we're another part of the planet. And I think we've given ourselves way too much credit for everything that's happened. Probably you asked, um, when it comes to science first religion, like where do you sit or like, what's your, what was your journey like? And for me, it comes down to, uh, like track record, I guess. What, what has science done versus what has religion done in the past that we can look at and say, okay, let's move forward and maybe that's who we should maybe believe um, in the future. And so there's a quote by, our, I'm going to butcher the last name, Arthur Schopenhauer that says, all truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, is violently opposed. And third, is accepted as being self-evident. Mm-hmm. And I think we can see that through, I mean, people used to think the earth was flat and somehow now do again, which is weird. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, Christian colleges. Yes. Because <laughs> that happened at my college. Anyways, continue. Uh, I put that quote in there. I think it's relevant because I think that's the God of the gaps argument that a lot of Christians use. They say, we can't explain why this thing happens or what's going on in the world. So God must have done it. And I think as science progresses, as it did with um, like why people got sick or why the earth is round or like countless other things. Um, the more we learn about science and the more we let it dictate how we make decisions about our um, society, I think the less we need God in our lives to explain things away. And so with every scientific advancement, God becomes smaller and smaller and smaller until at some point we're going to not know everything, but I think we'll have enough to be like, okay, I think enough has been discredited. I don't really like the word discredited, but enough to say, Maybe this was invented for a purpose that served it back then, but not really relevant to our lives as they are today. And so I think the newest thing that Christians are kind of not up in arms about, but are they're saying God did that is the Big Bang uh, idea, like starting the universe. Like, how did the universe get started? And like the Big Bang is the best working theory that scientists have at the moment. But then Christians will say, well, what caused the Big Bang? And we may never know. And I'm fine with that answer. Like, I don't need to know why the universe started. I don't need to know where it came from. I know that it happened and the best working theory we have is the Big Bang. And I would hope that if that does get discredited one day, that the scientific community would be like, great, we had that theory. Now we have this new one. And I feel that Christians, no matter what happens, they'll always have to find a place for their God to fit because, again, it's so tied to their identity when I was like going through early on in the process or like midway, I was listening to a lot of debates between theologians versus atheists or even just uh, like secularists and things like that. And at the end of almost every debate, they would ask what would change your mind to switch to the other side. And the atheist or again, the non-Christian would say evidence of any kind. And then 
the theist or the Christian will say, nothing can change my mind. I know there's a God and I know that he is involved in my life. And I think that kind of sums it up for me. Like, are you willing to change your mind on the topic or is it so ingrained in your life that you don't care what evidence is pointed towards? You need it in your life because it's that important to you. And at that point, you kind of have to ask, well, is it about truth? Is it about anything other than what you've made it into and how it revolves around your life? Yeah. And I think that is a really good question for Christians to consider and for skeptics. I think a lot of times we don't ask that. And there are people that have, there are Christians that do have responses to that. I think especially those that have gone through their own kind of deconstruction um, and then have come out still as Christians often have a set of criteria that got tested. And then, you know, they said, well, the faith did stand up to that. However, I think for a lot of people, it Christianity gets kind of categorized as this untouchable inner, I don't know, lifestyle or worldview. And then we, we don't think it can or should be tested. But if God really is the God of truth and, you know, is a God that operates in reality, then there should be things that could disprove him. And yet, if he's real, we would expect to find those things true about him. So this is not like a threatening question for Christians, I don't think. But I do think you're right. It's something, sadly, that people feel like, oh, well, I shouldn't have anything that could take away my faith in God. But remember, like, God is truth. So if if there's something not true, it's not God. And that's, you know, you, sh- you shouldn't want your faith in that. So we also wanted to talk about origins and, you know, the tension between how Christians explain the origins of the world and how um, the scientific community explains it. And to start with, I wanted to give an overview of some popular Christian theories about how the world came to be based on Genesis. There are more variances than I think a lot of people realize about what Christians do with the Genesis account. So to start off with, you have the young earth view, which is... The view that Genesis is to be taken very literally, you know, upon a straightforward reading that the earth is six to 10,000 years old, which you would get from, you know, the genealogies that are listed and that God created in six 24 hour days, quite literally. The old earth view is different from this. And this um, is the view that the earth is actually quite a bit older. Um, And there are different takes on this view, but one version of it that I find more compelling than some is a version that is presented by Reasons to Believe, an organization that really gets into the nitty-gritty of science and Christianity, especially concerning origins. And this view, the gap theory, um, does mention six literal 24-hour days with morning and night, as it's said in Genesis, but these days are separated by gaps. So this view explains many scientific discoveries. Um, it, it has no tension with them, including you know the old appearance of the Earth's age, but it also still holds to the Genesis account as being true and even being literal, but not in the way a simple initial reading would provide. Another view is the day-age creationist view. And this theory holds that the days of creation were actually much longer than a single 24-hour day. Um, And I think this view, if I'm remembering correctly, is based on the fact that the Hebrew word for day is a little bit more ambiguous than what we read when we read day. It could mean 
age or unspecified period of time. And then I also want to talk about theistic evolution. This is a view that evangelicalism doesn't hold to pretty much. I think that there are people within evangelicalism that would hold to this view, but this, this view is not widely accepted within, you know, American evangelical churches. And it's the view that God created through evolution. Um, and, and that he set that process in motion and, you know, you get into some tricky waters here because of the traditional Christian view that God sustains, upholds everything currently, is creating currently. And so for God to set a process in motion and then take his hand away from it is something that is typically not uh, believed within evangelicalism. So when it comes to the origins of the universe, um, Christians often hold to a view presented by William Lane Craig. Um, he restates the Kalam cosmological argument, mm -hmm. and it's this idea that everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe, indeed, began to exist, and therefore the mm -hmm. universe has a cause. And this sounds kind of like self-evident, kind of like a does statement, maybe. Um, but the reason that's important is because when you're dealing with something that... Um, is outside of matter, then mm -hmm. you're starting to get into the metaphysical realm. And so like Craig goes on to, to say that, you know, this, this being has to have a mind, this being has to be personal, meaning like a, a being with a will. Um, this being has to be powerful outside of time and matter because everything that came to exist in the big bang um, came from something outside of time and matter. And so, you know, that sounds a lot like, like God, we would say. Um, although I think you've said in some of our previous discussions about this, that you thought that that still sounded like, um, God of the gaps theory, right? Uh, yeah, I would say it's definitely the God of the gaps, because like I said, we're just trying to put God in a place where he definitely exists because without him, he's people's lives kind of, they're like, well, what do I do now? Um, but like, if we bring it down, if we take it out of space, I guess, because sure, the chances of it happening are, I, I don't even want to throw a number out there, uh, really high. But um, there are like particles, and I do not remember the name, but there are particles um, in space that like pop in and out of like existence. Like we see them and then they're gone and then they come back. And so, I mean, things happen and we're a very young species in general. I mean, we just learned so many things in the last 100, 200 years. So, I mean there very well be something that's beyond like what we know as our observable universe because our observable universe 200 years ago was infinitely smaller than it is now. So yeah, I mean, the more we advance as a species, we might discover there is something more. And then when we find out that that's not God, then Christians will move it. Well, what's the un uncaused first cause? You know, like they'll just keep moving it backwards and it's just an infinite regress. And instead of doing that, why don't we just say, I don't know, but we'll do our best to figure it out. And I think that's actually um, a good point as to why I've landed, I mean, in a different place than you, but this thought that what are, when are we doing our best to figure it out? Because when I hear, you know, like, oh, we don't know, but it can't be a being, like, with a mind, with a will, to me that almost sounds like science of the gaps theory, if that's a thing. Like, um saying we don't know, but we trust science to fill it in later, when why not, you know, theorize now? Because isn't scientific theory is kind of built on 
you know, looking at the evidence, predicting what happened, and then testing and seeing if it upholds in in light of, of testing. And so when you think about the origins, to me, if you, t- if you took religion out of it, you know, completely, I still think this is a very plausible scientific theory as to what happened. Um, and then, so that's one of the pieces actually for my belief in Christ. Um, still, there's other, there's other bits to that. But this, I do think, you know, if the chances of the universe existing out of nothing, if it coming into being from the Big Bang from nothing is statistically zero, then we should hypothesize about what happened. Um, Do you have any thoughts on all of that? I have never had thoughts before, but I do now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, here we go. Uh, So you're saying if we could get rid of all the religion, Mm -hmm. uh, I would agree. I mean, if we could get rid of all the religion and all of that and say, how is this different than like, okay, so you're saying a being created it and we moved into it and then the evolution took over, right? Is that? Yeah, let's go with that. Um, we could do that. I mean, I'm fine with that. That's kind of saying, again, that's kind of putting agency on something that wasn't really there. Again, that's, I'm fine with saying, I don't know. And, but people want to put a God there. Like, okay, if we work in a vacuum, sure. It's kind of the same, but we're not. And so when we say, oh, there is a first cause, you're a say, you're stating we can't get to Christianity, but most people are saying there was a cause step A, step B Christianity. And so we do get there. Hmm. So I think if we're being, if we're trying to be honest and actually look for truth, you have to say, I don't know, because once you say there is a God, then people are going to run with that and say, well, this God is intimately in my life also. And so I think, um, it feels like kind of give an inch, take a mile situation. Like, I think you have to say, I don't know, because if you give them any leeway, they're going to be like, well, look, he stopped me from getting in a car wreck or something. And it kind of, you kind of get all the way back to Christianity. So, but I would agree. I mean, within, if you worked in a vacuum, yeah, I mean, sure, there would be... Is it possible? Yeah. Even, could you say it could be a possible scientific theory? And I'm not a scientist. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, so theory, and a lot of people, not just Christian, I mean, a lot of people, they hear they hear the word theory, and they think like, oh, this is like, any theory is just as good as any other theory. Yeah. But a scientific theory is gone through the most rigorous process, like this is the absolute best information that we have at the time. So it's not just a theory that like some one person came up, like it's been run through and gone through. And so like, this is the best information we have. So like, mm-hmm. I think people to try and, and we're not arguing for it, but like people try and like win debates or arguments by saying, well, that's just a theory. And this mm-hmm. is just a theory, but yeah. like the scientific theory has backing in all sorts of like st- statistics and science, everything like that. And then the, uh, the religious theory is again, the, hasn't really been tested right so i think people try and use the words theory interchangeably and they're and they're definitely not yeah i think just where i'm at is this thought of like if we stop hypothesizing then we're in a weaker spot and i mean it's not that we're stopping it's like i said it's always being willing to say i don't know like we didn't know about the big bang until we discovered like background radiation and stuff and we heard it and we were like okay so what caused this and so we see it so I've never claimed to know for a hundred percent certainty that there is no God. I would mm-hmm. absolutely like yeah. that definitely could, that could exist. I have no idea. Yeah. I've just never seen evidence for it. And so right now we're at the big bang theory. And then in 200 years, we may be at whatever was behind that. Like, because again, we're on a, a singular observable universe and it's 
literally ever expanding. So I don't think it's not lazy. I don't think you said laziness, but like weaker, weaker, weaker. Um, I wouldn't say it's weaker. It's just, we just don't know yet. And so Mm -hmm. we're just kind of working off that. And maybe also as you're talking, because you could never test the personal being outside of matter, like you've said before. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, it is different than a scientific theory. Um, and you know, I'm not a scientist, but from what I understand, it just, the the Kalam argument is really compelling to me. It just seems logical that, you know, if everything came boom in the big bang from something that there was an uncaused first cause, you know, see, this is where I kind of get upset with apologetics or religions, uh, defenses in general is because words are important. They have power. And I feel like when you say uncaused first cause, that's God. Like, right. I mean, that's, essential. yeah, that's what, that's what the argument is. Right. Would say. But they're calling uncaused first cause to make it more. And this might not be true. This is how I'm interpreting it. Like that's more scientific versus like calling it a God. But the, that argument at no point points to a, a God, especially one that is involved in our lives which can be called the big bang theory or the uncaused first cause. Like, I'm not sure why we're getting hung up on not me and you like in general, uncaused first cause versus the big bang theory. Uh, well, I think that they would say it, it's what caused the big this bang. is what caused. Right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. But I mean, even now, and like you said, it says whatever begins to exist has a cause the universe begin to exist and therefore it has a cause. So we can agree that the universe has a cause from that. I mean, sure, the Big Bang Theory was caused by something, but like to jump from we have no idea to an to a deity seems like a mm-hmm. a large jump, and that's kind of what I was talking about earlier—the track record of like what has what has happened so far. So like, religion has said all these things, and they've yet to be correct on like all the examples I gave earlier. Mm-hmm. So why would I want to accept that? Okay, it's definitely a deity outside of space and time mm-hmm. that is immaterial and um, can't be detected. And to me, when I hear the terms immaterial, non-physical and powerful, if something is immaterial and non-physical, if it's immaterial and non-physical, how is that different than not having a God at all? Like, Hmm. I guess my point is if you're trying to find a God and you're trying to get it all the way back to religion, from the big bang. Cause you, you're saying this, this being has to exist. We're trying to make, we're trying to make the argument that this being existed. Well, this being can't be non-physical and immaterial. And then if it's undetectable, how is that different than not having a God at all? Like it doesn't that if it's completely outside of space and time, that argument is completely irrelevant to the personal God, the evangelicals um, profess to be in our lives. Cause I don't think you can be both those things at once. It's, something that's immaterial and non-physical inherently can't be worshiped because we have no idea mm-hmm. if it's there at all. And um, so we always put God in the next place. At first he was walking among us. Then he was on Mount Sinai. Then he was in the skies and the stars. And then he is now outside of space and time. So like every time science comes up with a basically proves that he's not where you said he was, you just move him further and further back. And now he's, and now at this point in the progression, he is, undetectable, immeasurable outside of space and time. Mm-hmm. Well, well now we can never disprove that. So they've kind of, I don't know. It just feels, it feels kind of dishonest to say it's outside of space and time, unmeasurable, but also deeply involved in our lives. Like to me, an uncaused first cause immaterial stuff. You can't, 
you can't associate that with the um, evangelical God that is personally in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so like we brought up Occam's razor. And so the most obvious cause or the most reasonable cause is probably simple, the one right? most simple, simple cause is the yeah. one that's probably the answers. So like, like when you hear hoofbeats on the ground, you don't think zebras, you think horses. Like it's not, if I, if everything mm-hmm. points to, if everything is pointing to evolution and big bang, everything like that, um, I just, I'm going to go with that until it's been seen otherwise. Dylan, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and your thoughts. And um, I am looking forward to hearing um, what people resonate with what you said, Mm -hmm. because I think there's a lot of people out there that have these concerns and questions and don't realize one, that there are other people with them and one, that there are people that have found um, different sources of answers than they've mm-hmm. heard before. So thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. It was awesome. If this episode was meaningful to you, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming.